Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Gene Poole, and there's a little Gene Poole in all of us. This is another podcast, the fifth in um, a series, and this one is also about me and my crazy outfits and uh, endeavors in New York City. to cover some ground uh, about the can suit in 1995 was the 25th anniversary of Earth Day and I grew 25 Victoria's Secret uh, grass robes for a big thing in Times Square and uh, I wore the can suit and a bunch of the people went up in the Trump Tower I think they got kicked out of the Trump Tower after the thing happened. And uh, I began to kind of get sick of the can suit. It was it was so loud. Uh, I went to a like a, a fancy uh, grade school, and the guy, the teacher, had a decibel meter. <laughs> I think he clocked it at like a 110 decibels. And uh, it was also getting very ratty. I had been egged by some boys uh, on Halloween. And um, so I built another can suit. And June of 96, my mother passed away. And I kind of uh, lost interest in everything. And I was at Coney Island for the Mermaid Parade. And... um, in the can suit and I met a woman named Kim Iacono and we talked for 10 hours straight. She asked me questions, you know, I had been in this can suit thousands of times and she asked me questions that no one had ever asked me. We started talking and talked for 10 hours and um, that was kind of the end of my marriage. <laughs> so uh, I like to just say that um, I'd like to dedicate this episode to the families and the saints in El Paso and Dayton, which is my hometown. And um, I was going to do a whole thing about uh, my own (laughs) mental health. Um, I have bipolar disorder, but we're going to get into that kind of thing uh, in another episode. So around... 2004, I began to, uh, I just didn't like New York City anymore, and uh, I got in a couple of fights. I had two Jaguars, (laughs) XJ-12s, and um, my aunt died, and she left me some money, some Citigroup stock, so I just thought I was a millionaire, and uh, I bought two Jaguars, and... uh, 
one night I was coming home and I parked a Jag and uh, there was these people coming, you know, four guys and one girl, they were walking by and I said, be careful, this store here was just robbed. And the guy comes up to me and he goes, that was my friend who robbed it. And so they, they jumped me. These four guys jumped me and <laughs> I had on my clown shoes. <laughs> so I tried to kick the guy and uh, he grabbed my clown shoe and, and kind of threw me on my head and busted my head open and they started beating me up and uh, he was going, not in the face, not in the face. Uh, and um, so I had my hair dyed like this brilliant blue and then fading to like a fuchsia down lower and so uh, I was bleeding and so I got in a jag and I drove around and I found the the ringleader outside this bar and so uh, I called the cops and I met them on Metropolitan Avenue and uh, I wasn't about to get in a cop car but they they were like uh, they couldn't really see that I was bleeding because my hair was colored fuchsia <laughs> so um we go over to this bar to uh identify this guy and instead of uh identifying him i take a swing at him and so i end up in handcuffs and uh you know there's just a number of things like that <laughs> that tell, told me it was time for me to get that get the hell out of brooklyn and so uh I took my two Jaguars and rented a truck and moved to uh, Springboro, Ohio and, and into a farmhouse down the street from my brother. And I left home when I was 17, so I never really got to know my siblings very well because it was just only on holidays I would come through town. And that was my mission to learn more about my siblings and uh understand them you know so it, it didn't go well for me i had been i i guess this is going to be about my mental health uh in brooklyn i ended up in a psych ward for a week and uh my girlfriend she wanted me to go get evaluated because i was acting so crazy and um uh, they said they grabbed me up and put me in a in an emergency psych ward and um there was a vietnam vet in there with me and we were talking just hanging out and suddenly his face turned and he, he attacked me and uh they ran in and sedated him and everything so i got out of there and i was on depcote and uh it inhibited my unicycle riding so I told my therapist, uh, I don't want to take this stuff. And he's like, okay, don't take it. So um, around 2004, around 05, uh, things weren't going very well for me in Springboro. I ended up working in a munitions factory. And uh, it was awful. And then I got a job as, as a carpenter. And I was just plummeting, and uh, I didn't, I didn't want to realize that I was bipolar. And um, 
Well, here it is. I tried to off myself and uh, ended up back in a psych ward. And then they got me on some decent medication, and I've been on it ever since. And I, I, here's why I'm really talking about this. Um, there's a myth that is uh, if you're bipolar, if you're manic depressive, if you get on medication, you're going to be less creative. And so uh, I, I'm like the poster boy for this disorder. So I, I'm here to disprove that, that myth because um, I've done tons of creative stuff and um, I've done it on the medication. I ended up moving down into the city of Springboro and uh, a friend of mine said he had bags of bottle caps, like trash bags full of bottle caps. And I said, oh, let's, let's make suits. And so he didn't end up making a suit, but I did with uh, Sarah Sumner. And it took us about, I think about six months. Um, I developed a way, I, I made a tool that would punch a hole in each bottle cap and we made it with uh, a price tag gun. And, uh, you know, it would take like two hours to do a very small patch. So uh, I got on this show called uh, The Booker's Beat. And where was that show? That was in Dayton. A TV show? Yeah, it, it was a guy who goes out and interviews people. Um, so I threw up in my car <laughs> on the way there, and uh, I just felt awful. It wasn't like I drank too much the night before. I don't know. So uh, I'm there, and they want me to ride the unicycle, which I'd never done before on in the bottle cap suit. And so I rode, and... I didn't figure on the extra weight, so the tire was <laughs> almost flat. And then the spokes tore off a whole like inside leg of my bottle caps. <laughs> so I started wearing this bottle cap suit around, uh, and it was, you know, I, I'm I'm used to my suits making a lot of noise, and this thing was like very loud you can hear me coming like a block away so then uh i like to talk about the zebra suit so i uh would sometimes uh, there's a place called tractor supply and they sell these little uh animals they're really cool looking little lifelike little animals about two inches tall and stuff so i started collecting them and then I went to a tractor supply in Xenia and they had a, they were all half off. So I spent 30 bucks and I've got like so many animals. We got like three elephants and zebras and uh, horses and just all this stuff. And I found like when I um, got under stress, I would arrange these animals and I would play with them and uh, it, it relaxed me. And then I'm looking at the zebra I'm like, wow, <laughs> I could do that. I could make a suit like that. So um, I hired these uh, ladies in near Dayton to 
uh, make me a suit. They made wedding dresses. Sharon Nelson and her uh, cohorts. And uh, so they made this suit and they put uh, a cheetah lining in it. And they put cheetah lining even in the pants. <laughs> so um, by 2012, I was just done with done with Springboro, done with Dayton. You know, I was performing uh, in a bowling alley and um, I wasn't that good. And they said, uh, you can't do that anymore. But I was the runner for all these bands and I got to meet like um, just a ton of great bands. But what the runner is, is I go and I get all the liquor for the bus and for the stage and little towels so they can wipe the sweat off and stuff. And um, they were each band that would come, they would have me go to a uh, guitar center and buy these cheap guitars, right? And so that they could, uh, the act could sign them and they would give them away. So I had bought this uh, white guitar at a garage sale. And um, so I just kind of slipped it in there when um, George Jones was playing and he signed it, you know? <laughs> And so everybody after that is like, oh, this thing's worth a lot of money. You can't, you can't just leave it laying around. You got to keep it in a case and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, ah. I almost took that signature off of there because I liked that guitar before he signed it. I don't like it so much after he signed it. And so um, I was actually, I actually, I moved to uh, Chicago for the second time on Thanksgiving Day in 2012 and uh, I had the, the bottle cap suit and I started going around Andersonville and I would go into Simon's Tavern in it and um, they didn't know who I was so they would call me the captain <laughs> and um, I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with this suit and um, then I started making the zebra suit. Uh, from Chicago. So, uh, I did that for about two or three years and I would go in restaurants, I would go in bars and just shake around. And, and then, um, one time I had been in Lady Gregory's a number of times to great effect. People loved it, but I went in there one time and I made a baby cry. <laughs> so, uh, they asked me to leave. And so after that, I vowed, uh, not to go in uh not to go in places anymore restaurants or bars and stuff just stay on the street because it's really not fair to people you know these days they don't know who i am you know and so uh i stopped going into places and then i'm walking down the street in the in the bottle cap suit and uh, i see there's a little birthday party i think it was in Reza's, and um the woman waved me in and I took pictures with a bunch of kids and then uh, the birthday boy came up to take a picture and he was horribly crippled. Uh, he had some malady and uh, I almost cried. <laughs> you know, and uh, I was like... This is why I do this stuff. You know, I gave this kid an experience he'll never, ever have. And uh, 
I'll never forget that birthday. <laughs> so uh, then I started uh, wearing, I got the, the, one of my buddies from art school, Alan Winkler, he helped me paint the stripes on the uh, zebra suit and I made a tail for it. I made hooves, um, a hat, and um, part of the shtick was that I would open it up and show those cheetah lining and all. So I did that a lot around here as well, especially at the uh, Hody Snitch uh, shows at Simon's Tavern. And uh, I recently did a like a stand-up routine in it. I had been trying for like two years to write stand-up for the the uh, zebra suit, and I reached out to all these people who are funny, comedians, and only one came through, Liz Zagone. But um, I couldn't use other people's material because it didn't work with my material, you know. And uh, so this Sunday will be my 33rd time at the Poetry Slam. And, uh, you know, I would like to read, uh, read some of my poems. So, uh, in 2005, I started, actually 2006, I started writing poems and, uh, it took me a while to recover from everything I'd been through and, uh, started, my first poem was, uh, what to wear to the future and, um, I just kept writing and writing, and um, by the time I moved to Chicago, I was, I think I'd written about 1,700 poems, so I was just finishing up. I thought, you know, 2,000's enough, <laughs> and, uh, but after that, I didn't stop, so this is a poem from 2014. I'm worried about not worrying. I tried it today and could not not worry. This added another worry to the list. Worry is how I get things done. Worry is what I did yesterday about today. I even worry about the past. The things I cannot worry about are right now. Right now is low stress. Nothing can hurt me. I'm a package marked future. I lurch through false starts and bleed concerns. The very clock of twelve worries. Worry tones chime the hour. We should all worry the same two hours a day so it's contained. I won't worry a minute more. Now that's worrisome. I know what love looks like, and I'm familiar with its stunt double. Love is an endangered species. If you are blessed by a true heart, one who listens, one who glows, don't hold back, don't let go until you have to. This is a poem I wrote about the mill. I think out loud, I write for this crowd. I can never get my fill of the grand old green mill. I look better here than anywhere. I see better too. The world can no longer haunt me as I'm haunted here. I cry out loud from the eye cloud. I spell out loud. I've been ravaged by a poor education. I'm reading on a third grade level and still I'm at the mill. This is some of my jokes. I look good for a man of 75, but I'm 60. I went to the doctor for the first time in my adult life. I've never had a reason. It's bad news. I'm going to live 30 more years. 
Two weeks ago, I went back to the doctor. I told him that joke, and he was laughing. He had to check a thing on my back. He said, it's bad news. You're going to live 40 more years. I've had plastic surgery twice. I'm getting it again, they say, the third time's a charm. I'm getting LASIK, but I can only afford one eye at a time. <laughs> Turns out I'm brainwashing myself. I'm on the rinse cycle. I'm an antique, distressed, pre-worn, vintage. Everything works on me but my credit card. One day I'm going to buy my own ambulance. I'll save a lot of money like that. I haven't dated in so long that now they call it carbon dating. Some of those jokes also, you know, had the feel of poems. Yeah, I've worked some of them into poems. Yeah. Well, I usually write poems in a song form. It's like verse, verse, chorus, verse. Most of these I'm reading now are, are different. Fate screwed me. I screwed it back. A child was conceived. Its name was Floyd. I did so love Floyd. He got himself stuck in a supermarket ventilation system, but that did not keep him from being a state senator. Floyd was the best thing that ever happened to me in fate. I met Destiny at a bachelor party. A child was conceived. We named her Florence. The love of Florence was grandiose. She became a nutritionist, the first to win a Nobel Prize. Fate called me on New Year's Eve. She broke her toe. I went over there, and I'm still there. So how did you get your start at the Green Mill? Uh, I, I've been putting out books of poetry, and this was like three years ago. I uh, gave a copy to one of my friends that works at Green Mill, and Mark Smith started uh, reading poems out of the book. And they said, well, why don't you give him a featured spot? And he said, "Nah, I want to build the mystique. So it was like two years before I started going there, and uh, this is one of the poems that he read. More clowns fall head over heels with the clown dating service than in the center ring. Find your inner clown, then date one on the clown dating service. Have a crush on a clown? Find them on the clown dating service. Clowns need love, too, not just from other clowns, the clown dating service. Pratt fall into love with the clown dating service. Two clowns walk into a bar. They met on the clown dating service. Don't be fooled by other clown dating sites. Our clowns are the best and extra silly. Is your clown no longer funny? Find a new one on the clown dating service. I'd like to talk about uh, a thing that I've discovered. Like if I do a big project, um, like I grew 37 grass suits in uh, 1985 and had a parade to Grant Park, uh, I found that if I didn't have a next thing to work on, I'd get very depressed. And so I always have something in the shoot and uh, after I did the zebra suit, I had this idea to uh, make a suit called Mr. Nice Guy. And I thought about it so much. And like 
just with everything I do, I think about it for years, <laughs> how to how to go about it. And I talked to Sharon Nelson um, in Waynesville about making the suit, and they have like a, this fancy embroidery machine. And so uh, finally, I started making uh, T-shirts with some of my jokes on them at Strange Cargo. And um, they ended up making me my Mr. Nice Guy suit. And my idea was to just stand on the corner and everybody that came by, I would find something to compliment them about and just just be nice to everybody. And uh, so the suit just turned out really fabulous. And uh, I owe them a good deal of thanks. So uh, I... My next thing. <laughs> Want to hear about my next thing? I'm going to cover a car and a suit in cake icing and uh, appear next year at the parade, uh, the parade in Houston, Texas. Uh, they have the biggest art car parade in the world every May. And I've been in like three or four of them already yeah so uh a lot not not everything i try works you know um but i learn from stuff i've learned a tremendous amount from performing at the green mill i'm glad he didn't give me a feature two years ago because i would have bombed terribly i've learned so much from mark as a host i don't read poetry i find it very dry and boring you know i want to laugh i don't want to have to think about stuff too much right was that always the case i've never read poetry last poet i read seriously was mark strand and that was god 30 years ago and also andy i don't want to be i don't want to be writing a poem and say oh that person did it you know I don't want to be influenced by by people uh by other poets and it's it's helped me you know that kind of way of thinking has helped me. Do you enjoy the other poetry at the Green Mill? I do. I do. Sometimes I put my hands over my ears because uh, you know sometimes it's not so great and I don't want it in my brain but um most of the crew there are pretty uh pretty good and mark smith is just phenomenal he's just such a he's so perceptive uh, about everything one time recently i think it was my like 29th time i uh walked there in my bottle cap suit and i walked in and all the staff was just cracking up and <laughs> It turns out they, they didn't have hardly anyone for the open mic, so they let me in the side door, and I got up there on stage, and uh, it was uh, Naomi Ashley, was it was her band. And uh, I just got right in there with the rhythm section, and um, and then I told, I told that story about the kid, the crippled boy, you know, and, and got the hell out of there. Well, um... Let's see. I'm going to read a couple more poems. 
an extra few seconds as I held the door. She says, thanks, and I meet her at the coffees and creams, a tasteful handbag over an armless shoulder. I see her manipulating the creams with one hand, racking my brain for anything to say. I've already paid. She walks up to the register. Put that on my tab, I say. Thanks, she says. Well, I should have bought her coffee. I have no tab. She held herself gracefully, cheerfully. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, maybe I have a chance. This is called Moan. One day I'll kiss her suddenly in her garage and it will end our unblemished friendship. Regrets pending as my lips try to understand the tongue, the teeth, the mouth of the river. A barely audible moan and of course she laughs it off. A kiss like dinosaur bones bent on being discovered. Sweet Laurel Ann, a mother with a sitter, a shopper singing along to Natalie Merchant. The olives slip from her grasp mashed to the floor, peers around to see who saw it. He's twenty and shoplifting bacon, reeks of underachievement. Be cool, mama, he says discreet. Stealing ain't cool. Give me the bacon. They both take stock of the unforeseen. The man pulls the bacon out of his jeans. She puts it in her basket with disdain. They proceed to the checkout in silence. She asks for the bacon to be bagged separately. Outside, a fist bump. Enjoy your bacon. Well, we're not going to go on too much longer, but I would like to talk about uh, how I write poems. I, I usually get like what, the first line or a line, and um, I I do not let myself not finish a poem. No matter how bad I think it's going, I finish it and. Uh, in the same sitting? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really hard to pick stuff up that that you tried at another time to finish. And if you don't finish it, it's rare that you can. I, I have done that. I wrote a thirty page uh epic poem called Helena Dark Horse. I've written a bunch of uh, long form poems. I wrote, uh, like I was saying, stuff doesn't always work out. I spent two years writing a novel called The Drone Barber about a kid who invents a drone that can shave your face. And uh, after two years, I sat down in Simon's Tavern with a hard copy, and I said, okay, I'm going to fix this up. And Oh, Andy, it was so bad. <laughs> it's like the worst kind of writing. And I was like, I don't have the skills to fix this. So I shelved it, you know. I work a, quite a bit with a guy named Tom Santiago. And uh, he was helping me with it. And uh it was kind of just dodgy. Like I started incorporating different people that I knew in the narrative. And, um, Tom and I've made a lot of, uh, like he does like techno music and I've read my poems to his music. And he's been a big help to me in terms of that. I also wrote a, something that did work out was a novel. I wrote the cat that ended the world. 
sometimes if you have an idea, if you don't write it down like right away, it's gone. So I was at work and I had this idea, the title of the book, The Cat That Ended the World, and then boom, it was gone. And I spent all day and part of the next day like trying to think of what that idea was and finally I retrieved it. And so I wrote this short novel and Tom helped me. And uh, my roommate at the time, Addie Bacon, she had this cat named Kevin Bacon. And it's based on Kevin because he was like feral and just wild. And uh, so that worked out pretty well. So you went into how you write the poems. What about the why? I mean, why do you feel compelled to write poems year after year? Uh, I really don't have a choice. If I don't do it, if I have an idea for a poem and I don't do it, if I don't try, it's just it's just not in my nature anymore. I don't give up on anything, you know? And it's just like, I can do it, you know? So why shouldn't I? <laughs> and I can I can usually write a poem or a song the lyrics in about 20, 25 minutes. Some of these have been quite short. How do you sense that a poem is complete? Well, I usually end with like a, a kind of a punchline, you know, and, um, and sometimes I'll have that in mind mid-poem, and then I'll kind of set it up. And uh, it's, it's pretty obvious when stuff is done. I, I usually write two verses, a chorus, and then another verse, and then a bonus verse. Recently I wrote 15 bonus verses <laughs> to, <laughs> to a song. But I, you know, what I wish is uh, that people would take these poems and put them to music. You know, young bands, uh, there's so much of it, and a lot of it's pretty good. Uh, I, w I would like to license my poems. So these days there's a demand for your work for you to be turning out new poems because you're performing every Sunday. Have you found that to be good for your creative flow or does it make you feel pressure? Um, that's a good question, Andy. I don't rely on old poems anymore. For, for, my, for a bunch of my first uh, appearances at the Green Mill, I was doing like 10-year-old poems, and um, Bacon, which I just read, is number 842. <laughs> um, it's not dated. And then I just said, you know, you know what? I'm not doing those old poems. I'm not going to rely on that. And uh, one time I did a poem that I wrote that day, you know, and so I've done that several times. But usually by Wednesday or Thursday, I have in mind the poem I'm going to do. And I've, I have uh, been able to play with people like Stephen Hashimoto, Heath Chapel, Naomi Ashley, just a number of people I, I never would have got to play with. Um, and it's just like a dream come true, you know? And then with the poems you've just been reading, 842, how long does that go back? A few years? Oh, that would be Ohio. The clown dating service was eight eighteen thirteen. Let's see if I can find it. 
This is a more recent poem from last year. Complaining with skill can take a lot of practice. The effective complaint should illustrate how awful life is under the circumstances. Given that you have receptive ears for the best results, one must not complain about the same issue for more than three sentences. It might be that your lament would incite the listener to air their grievances as well. It's a perfect storm of mutual dissatisfaction. Complaining about aches and pains won't get you very far in this world. Originality helps, but don't put too thick of a glaze on the truth. That's my complaint. You have these printed out, typed on a computer. But when you write the poems, are you writing them on the notebooks that you've got on the table over there? Yeah. And you might have an inspiration and sit down at the bar or a restaurant and, and scribble them onto paper. It's always Simon's Tavern. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I've written one or two poems at my house, but I need the, like, the hustle bustle of a bar. And when you were in Ohio, did you have a certain place? Yeah, um, Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I make friends and... I feel uh, I'm able to shut out stuff really effectively. You must be. I, I mean, I was imagining you being at Simon's and all of a sudden, if there's something you need to get down, you have to focus and, and take out all the noise. Most people know to leave me alone. And if they don't, I tell them to leave me alone. <laughs> you know, um, this, is, this is one of uh, my best poems from last year. Uh, Snow dresses the avenue, swirls in sluggish screens, blotting out sky blue, sticking to blue jeans. Snow calls morning reset, the shallow puddles. It's not that bad yet, wind sending missiles. I pick the homely girl over the starlet, a true heart over a harlot. Snow rallies the efforts, it expects our best, hanging on weather, weather reports. Winter for many a test. Snow gathers its force. Makes me hold her tight. More snow, of course. Snow nearly all night. That's snow dress. Uh, this is called five-card draw. The distance, the resistance, to an old friend. Let it come to an end. I can live without. You got a permanent pout. It's a thing we can't mend. Our friendship wide out love the time that we had double blind i ain't mad you ain't lived enough to be this tough my favorite friend i'll call your bluff this is from may 1st uh, 2019 i was really happy with this when i wrote it and uh i read it at simon's on the back deck people loved it it's called of whim I've been thrown under the bus several times. Sometimes I want to throw myself under the bus, but I don't because I know that the ambition towards death is fleeting. I live because all the other choices are so dismal. There are some perks to continuing to breathe. The land my mind lives in is treacherous but friendly. The red carpet to my mind is worn out. My passport to my inner circle is out of date. I stand for my jewels of whim. Mm -hmm. 
So did you want to say anything else in this episode about mental health? Well, I encourage people um, with bipolar disorder to accept the diagnosis, you know, especially if it's um, inhibiting your life. Like in when you're manic, uh, as an artist, uh, I've done a bunch of stuff and I thought, wow, this is great, you know, and I kept doing it and and then when you sit back and reflect on it, you're like, oh boy, that's not that good. But uh, the medication is a is really a blunt instrument, and you have to be really patient with your doctor and let them know if you're having side effects or if something isn't quite working with you, and um, just stay on your medication because. <laughs> I, uh, I've been kicked out of Simon's Tavern five years in a row. This was like two years ago, I think, uh, for five weeks each time, just because one time I just, I just got tired of taking my meds. And at the time I had to really go through, jump through a bunch of hoops to get them and pay for them. And, uh, I thought I could go off and, um, found out I couldn't you know it's like diabetes you it's just like diabetes it's a chemical imbalance and you have to let the medication do its job and you have to be patient about it especially like if you're clinically depressed you need to seek help and you need to be real patient about that I'm uh I've been on lithium and some form of uh, antidepressant like Wellbutrin for, I don't know, 15 years now. And lithium is a, it's an, it's a miracle drug. And what it does is it brackets your emotions. So you don't go too high, you don't go too low. And then the Wellbutrin helps with uh, depression. So does the suit you're wearing today correspond to any theme? It looks like a good summer suit. The theme is, I'll never look better than this. <laughs> oh, did I do King of the Road yet? No. Okay, I'm going to do King of the Road. Trailer for sale rent. Rooms to let 50 cents. No phone, no pool, no pets. Ain't got no cigarettes, but... Two hours of bush and broom buzz Eight by twelve, four bedroom I'm a man of means by no means King of the road Third box come midnight train Destination Bangor, Maine Awards and suit and shoes Don't pay no union dues I smoke old stogies I have found Sure but not too big around I'm a man of means by no means King of the road I know every engineer on every train All of the children and all of their names 
Every hand down in every town Every luck that ain't like what no one's around Trailer full sale of rent Rooms to let 50 cents No phone, no pool, no pets Ain't got no cigarettes I bought two hours of pushing broom Bars and eight by twelve four bedroom I'm a man of means by no means King of the road So you said in a previous episode when you interviewed Ty Hansen that that's one of your favorite songs. What is it about that song that you love so much? This is a very counterculture song, and it's about hobos, and it's about kind of being a thief and uh, scraping by, picking up butts off the ground, and, you know, it's a rambling kind of Woody Guthrie-esque kind of life. And I, I, I just think this song is way ahead of its time, and uh, it's flawless. It's just really easy to play, and it's a flawless uh, work of art. Is it a song that's resonated with you for a long time? Yes, it, it has for quite some time. All right, we're wrapping it up here at the Gene Poole Show. Thank you for listening. I hope it wasn't too hard on your ears. <laughs> 